0: This is the Reading Instruction Show. I'm your host, as always, Dr. Andy Johnson. The topic of today's podcast is Sigmund Freud, pioneer of modern psychology. Now, what's a good humanistic educator like me doing talking about Freud anyway? Well, stay with me here. Sigmund Freud lived from 1856 to 1939 and He's considered to be one of the pioneers of modern psychology. His theory of personality states that the human psyche or the personality has more than one aspect and the unconscious mind can be highly influential in directing human behavior. His contribution to the field of psychology was in describing how impulses and ideas contained in the unconscious were sometimes blocked from becoming conscious. These blocks were what contributed to the suffering of his patients. Now, before you jump on me, it's recognized that his ideas related to the impact of childhood sexuality on human development and personality are uncomfortable. These ideas are not widely adopted today but many of his other ideas still contribute to our understanding of the human entity thus any understanding of human beings should include some of freud's ideas now there's three things to keep in mind when evaluating freud's theory of personality first theories are not meant to be permanent theories by their very nature, are temporary structures used to explain a set of facts and to understand phenomena. As the facts change, the theories continue to evolve until they become obsolete and are replaced by new theories. Second, Freud's thinking kept evolving throughout his lifetime. If he were still alive today, it's most likely that his thinking would be much different than it was in the early 1900s. And third, theories like Freud's do not predict human behavior. They help us understand human behavior. So let's look at three levels of consciousness. Consciousness is another term for awareness. Freud described three levels of awareness. The first, the conscious mind, contains all our thoughts, mental processes, memories, feelings, and perceptions of which we are aware. The second, the pre-conscious mind, contains things that we could attend to and be aware of if we wanted. These include memories that are easily retrieved. The third, the unconscious mind, contains the thoughts, thoughts, feelings, impulses, and memories that are out of awareness. The unconscious mind also contains memories and desires that cause pain, anxiety, or discomfort, or that conflict with one idealized version of self, and that one finds unacceptable. So look. let's look at Freud's structure of personality. According to his theory, the personality or psyche has three interacting elements, the id, the ego, and the superego. The id is the most primitive or instinctive part of the personality. It operates on the pleasure principle, seeking immediate gratification for some of our most basic inclinations, regardless of societal restraints, such as sex and aggression. These are irrational and impulsive forces that operate largely at the unconscious level. The superego operates at both preconscious level and unconscious levels. Included here are your values, your principles, and your idealized self. The superego is constantly striving for moral perfection. The superego is often constructed from parental influences as well as the cultural standards to which one is exposed. The superego acts as a form of moral conscience and is often at odds with the id. The ego is the problem-solving part of the personality This seeks to mediate the impulses from the id and the demands of the superego. While the other two parts of the personality may be hidden, preconscious and unconscious, the ego operates at the conscious level. The ego enables you to meet the demands of the outer world, this is called the reality principle, and at the same time work to satisfy the demands of the id, in ways that are socially acceptable. So let's look at Freud's ego defense mechanisms now. These are things we use today. Defense mechanisms, sometimes known as ego defenses, are the psychological strategies that are unconsciously enacted to protect you or your ego from the anxiety caused by unacceptable thoughts or feelings. Unacceptable thoughts or feelings. In other words, they are the things your unconscious mind uses to keep you feeling good about yourself. The problem with these mechanisms is that they also keep you from addressing the underlying issues. Now, ego defense mechanisms are used by all of us at every age, to varying degrees, and at different times in our lives. Understanding what these are enables us to understand ourselves, to address our emotional roadblocks, and to hold ourselves accountable for our own behavior. They can also be used to help us understand others. The first ego defense mechanism is repression This is removing painful memories or unwanted ideas from consciousness. Most are familiar with this. In other words, repression is forgetting. Prompted by unconscious forces, these memories are pushed deep down into the unconscious part of your mind so that they are no longer accessible to the conscious mind. The second is projection. This is when you attribute your own unacceptable thoughts and feelings to another person or group. In other words, you project your negative impulses outward, creating a false image on the projection recipient. For example, if you have feelings of hostility or inadequacy that might threaten your idealized sense of self, you accuse another person of being hostile or inadequate. This sort of projection is commonly used to justify prejudice and stereotyping of various groups. Third, reaction formation. Here, unconscious impulses that you find unacceptable or threatening are replaced in your conscious mind by their opposite You then repress these unwanted characteristics by acting in ways that totally contradict what you unconsciously feel. For example, if a person harbors a negative racial prejudice for a certain group, that person might block or conceal that prejudice by getting involved in anti-racism causes or seeking to work with the group in some fashion. The fourth is denial this is when our unconscious refusal to perceive painful facts or conditions by denying, denying their existence that's our unconscious refusal to perceive painful facts or conditions now this can occur in situations such as abuse of relationships misdeeds of our children's or substance abuse of family members Denial enables the individual to escape the related thoughts or feelings that would threaten, be threatening to the idealized self or situation. The fifth ego defense mechanism is intellectualization. This is a defense mechanism in which painful or uncomfortable emotions are repressed by excessive intellectual activity. That is, you separate yourself from a highly charged emotional situation by describing it without emotion, as if you were analyzing it from afar. For example, Pat's friend was extremely disrespectful to Pat in a public forum, but instead of addressing the incident and the accompanying emotions, Pat analyzed the disrespectful behavior tried to identify possible causes for the behavior and then evaluated possible solutions like other defense mechanisms the extreme focus on facts logic and problem solving might enable you to ignore the emotional impact but it gets in the way of learning how to deal with difficult emotions and that's some of the problems with these ego defense mechanisms. The sixth is rationalization. This is when you attempt to justify negative or unacceptable behaviors using explanations that make them more favorable to you or others. It's a way to defend against feelings of guilt, to maintain self-respect, and protect yourself from criticism or condemnation. For example, a person who didn't pay his or her taxes might say, well, everyone does it. It's just good business. The seventh ego defense mechanism is displacement. This is when you relocate the strong feelings you have from one source to another. In other words, the cause of emotional distress occurs in one place while the reaction occurs in another. These reactions are usually transferred to a safer place or person. For example, a person who is treated poorly at work feels upset. But instead of reacting at work, that person displaces or transfers this feeling by becoming angry for no apparent reason with a significant other at home. Or a child who was bullied on the bus by older students might display extreme negative behavior in response to a teacher's request in the classroom. The eighth ego defense mechanism is regression. This is when the present moment causes you to be overwhelmed by negative emotions. So you return or regress to an earlier stage of emotional or intellectual development where these dangers did not exist or where you are able to avoid confronting such feelings. For example, a young man was in a painful marriage that he did not know how to fix. He found himself retreating to his parents' house and shooting baskets. In so doing, he was unconsciously trying to return to a time in his childhood before this kind of relationships existed in his life. Ninth ego defense mechanism is uh, compensation this is when you cover feelings of inadequacy in one area by emphasizing your abilities in another for example a person who has a very who has very poor interpersonal skills that prevent him or her from forming relationships might compensate by becoming an overachiever in sports or academics Or a student who constantly fails in the classroom might compensate by becoming a class clown. This points to the importance of helping all students find success in some aspect of learning, of course. Students have a natural need to be successful or appear capable They can't find success in positive school-related things. Some students look to be successful with destructive non-school related things, such as drug and alcohol, crime, or other damaging behaviors. The tenth ego uh, defense mechanism is identification. This is when you confuse your individual identity with the identity of someone else or a group. Here you unconsciously incorporate part or all of another person's personality, values, or beliefs into your own. Now, it's common for children to take on some of the characteristics of parents or a favorite teacher or for adolescents to take on some of the personality and values of an admired coach or famous athlete or entertainer. That's common. It can happen as well with adults who incorporate some of the values and persona of admired political or religious figures and groups. Identification becomes a negative thing when the individual loses his or her personal identity in the process, or if the values and beliefs being emulated are destructive. Okay, so what are the takeaways from this podcast? What do we do with all this stuff? Six big ideas to think about. Number one, being human means being unconscious. There are dimensions to humans that go beyond the conscious mind. According to Freud, what we see is just the tip of the iceberg. Much of the human personality is below consciousness. And although we are often not aware of it, the unconscious mind does impact us. Second, humans are wonderfully complex entities. We're not simply two-dimensional creatures living in a skinner box reality, trying to earn rewards and avoid punishment. Also, humans are much more than the sum of their behaviors. Recognizing this is the first step in understanding the wonderfully complex human entities with whom you encounter. It's also the first step in understanding yourself. Three, real education addresses the whole person. Education is most impactful when it includes the unconscious element. As I've said in an earlier podcast, this can be done through poetry and writing, music, dance, the visual arts, literature, and drama, as well as small group discussions where students are engaged in honest dialogue, as well as biblio exploration. Biblio exploration invites deeper understanding of self. Biblio exploration is a strategy in which narrative text or stories are used as a vehicle for students to examine and come to understand their own intrapersonal spaces. Intra, within. Stories enable readers to get inside the head of characters and to make connections with their own feelings, memories, experiences, and images of which they may not be aware And it's by becoming aware of these motivating forces that one becomes free from their influence. This is a catharsis. In psychoanalytic terms, a catharsis is a sudden freeing of repressed material. When you are constrained by elements hidden within the unconscious mind, you can be unconsciously directed by them. If we fully understand all aspects of ourselves, we're less likely to be pushed around by these unknown forces. The fifth takeaway behaviors can be limiting in what they tell you. Humans are not simply an accumulation of their behaviors, they're always complex, motivating factors beyond the behavior. When negative behaviors are displayed in a classroom or other context, the focus should be on the behaviors as well as what caused the behavior. You should not try to solve behavior problems simply by making the behaviors go away. You cannot reward and punish the behavior away. And the last takeaway. People are not always aware of why the behavior react. As stated at the beginning of this podcast, much of human behavior arises out of the unconscious mind. Identifying some of the motivating forces behind our behaviors enables us to address our emotional roadblocks and hold ourselves accountable for our behavior. I'm Andy Johnson. This has been The Reading Instruction Show.